0: Action. Welcome to Torn Stubbs with me photographer Robert Gershenson and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. We are concluding our series on non-superhero comic book movies with a trilogy of films adapted from books by legendary British writer Alan Moore. For this third and final part we watched V for Vendetta directed by James McTeague from a screenplay by the Wachowskis. The comic this is based upon, written by Alan Moore and drawn by David Lloyd, was published between 1983 and 1988. Joshua, have you ever read
1: V for Vendetta? (laughs) Mm, No. (laughs) I think I've already read maybe one of the comics (laughs) that we've covered in this series. I'm going to assume that you've read it.
0: I have, yes. It took me a couple of times. Um, I've always had this problem. If I don't like the art... It
1: really prohibits me from reading the book. Mm. That's how I feel with the recent Buffy comics. Some of the art in it is so so bad. They all look like frog people. It's terrible. <laughs> Which comic is that? There's a there's a Buffy reboot where oh Buffy yeah they've basically like brought it into like the post woke movement. So um, oh so it's sort of new. Yes, yeah, it's it's it's, take, it's put the characters back into high school, but as if it was present day. So they've all got like mobile phones and all that kind of stuff. And it's a really, really cool idea. And some of the storytelling is great. But in the first volume, which is the first four issues, the likenesses between the um, characters and the actors from the original show are really, really good and it works really well. And then they bring in a new um, illustrator and they're really bad, almost unreadable. It's just, it's shocking how much that changes your enjoyment you know i'm not i can't tell if the story's but good anymore because I've, the art is so distracting i've always had this problem so i've got issues of comics
0: just littered about my being uh, <laughs> in boxes that i haven't read just because i can't get it through because of the art mm. so i got bought Viva vendetta i always held off from reading it because whenever i grabbed it, i thought i don't like this art but the first time i must have got about halfway through and then the second time i just reread i pushed hmm. my way through and it's in color but it's very muted you know it's only a, a, a number of of sort of very pale colors it was originally published in black and white and i can't imagine reading it in black and white it was later colorized hmm. um which i actually think works here because i think just with this art style, it would have been so difficult sometimes to just understand what I'm looking at. Right. If it was just in black and white, it needs the color to elevate it a little bit. Which kind of goes against what I said in um, <laughs> you hypocrite in the From Hell in the <laughs> From Hell episode. Because when From Hell was colorized last year, I think it actually takes something away. Mm. I guess it, it depends on on the, the project. Story. Yeah, it really it really helped Viva Vendetta. Uh, Or at least it helped me sort of get past that barrier. I think it's a really good book. I think it's a, as a story, I think it's brilliant. I think because it was published independently in bits um, over a number of years, I think it can feel sometimes a little bit disjointed Mm. between the chapters. But if you consider it as a whole, it once again is a phenomenal achievement by Alan Moore. Mm. And it's very much of its time. It's very much an, a piece of 80s sci-fi dystopian fiction, sort of drenched and rooted in Thatcherism. Yeah. So I guess when they came to make the film, that just isn't a relevant thing to have in the film. It has to be drenched in Blairism and Bushism and the war in Iraq.
1: Had you seen the film before? Yeah, I've seen the film a couple of times. And... um I was doing some research into Alan Moore and his feeling about the adaptations of his works and um, it's weird because by this point, so we've had from hell and then the league of extraordinary gentlemen and then by the time we come to v for vendetta he was like i don't want to touch any adaptation with a barge pole i don't even want my name on the film um yeah and it's actually a shame because i think this is the strongest of the three that we've watched in terms of the non-superhero comic book films based on his work so yeah it's interesting to, to i would agree with you there yeah and i think it's it's weird because we talked about how in From Hell, that that film wasn't sort of scrupulously um, loyal to the source material, and that didn't work. That worked against it. Whereas it seems like with V for Vendetta, the the choice by the Wachowskis to actually modernize a lot of the political conversations makes the film. It it, it improves it. You know, it makes it it makes it relevant. It makes it. Um, you know interesting to us living in society now and all the discussions are about things that we talk about quite a lot nowadays probably more now than we did in 2005 actually isn't that the great trick that
0: a lot of these sci-fi writers make that when something is so drenched in in the politics of its story and it might be set you know 1984 came out in 1948 but it's very much about the politics of then not any projected politics so it made perfect sense in my mind that that the wachowskis would drench this film in
1: the politics of the day yeah and and knowing we know more about the wachowskis now than we did back in the 2000s you know when they did the matrix they were these um sort of very exciting fresh voiced sort of punks who came in and really shook up sci-fi and um, then mm. they did V for Vendetta. It's a
0: cyberpunk movement.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it, is, it was interesting to see them do V for Vendetta. At the time, it was like, that's that's really... I found it really jarring and quite a strange decision. But in hindsight, you can... Why is that? Because it's such a different film to The Matrix. And, you know, the, the Wachowskis then went on to not only make Sense8, which is a really interesting tv series on netflix about that's all about still haven't watched it it's very very slow but it's really interesting and it's very very well done and it basically takes the themes that they explored in beef of vendetta and runs with them because it's very much about Uh. gender politics and sexual identity and um the connectedness of society across the world it's very very clever and looking at that and then also knowing about the wachowskis is um gender realignment that they went through they yeah. that makes such
0: had one of them had La- i think lana was the first one to transition mm, yeah. had she transitioned by this point i don't this is only no, six years because, after the
1: matrix no because i mean the version that i watched on amazon prime still says the wachowski brothers so i think that even right you know i think it was actually a lot more recent that they both that lana went through gender reassignment is there gender reassignment or realignment Reassignment, isn't it? Reassignment. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah. Um it's, it's alright. Because it's <laughs> just it just makes this film make so much more sense because all the things mm. that they decided to um sort of amend from Moore's novel, it's as as he says himself, he says that they made my book not about fascism versus anarchism, they actually made it about neoconservatism versus american liberalism and the wachowskis mm. obviously are very much about liberalism and the idea that it's okay to be who you are no matter what society or anybody says about you um, and that's why they made changes like one of the characters played by stephen fry is a is a gay man um and there's mm. also you know the the camp the prison that v goes to is for um gay individuals who are basically being um imprisoned along the same lines as the nazi regime and yeah you know it, that it just Lock hill it just seems like actually now this is the the most wachowski film that we have ever seen i think actually but it's just weird and telling
0: maybe not telling but maybe telling that they didn't direct it
1: no they didn't and i don't really know i don't know why they didn't but they kind of handed it to james uh, mcteague because he was working first assistant director on all of their matrix films so they knew him yeah. personally and they, they obviously knew he was capable maybe they were knackered they just
0: making the the second and third
1: matrix film back to back yeah cuz what so they came out 2002 and three 2003 2004 yeah so they were yeah i remember going to see
0: the the second matrix film in my first year at uni Um, and i was so bored i've never done this before and i've never done it since i was so bored i just texted all the way through the film oh god you're that person i was so unbelievably bored they're not great no good memories about the second
1: matrix woman mm. i've never seen the third well they've recently haven't they recently talked about i think lily maybe is lily the one who's directing the new one yes i think that she's recently talked about those sequels and basically saying we had to really rush them and we're not really happy well, to they had honest. no story did they no they had no story no. they just it was such a runaway success that they had to
0: suddenly suddenly make them so alan moore had his name removed because he basically i've 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 either read or listened to interviews where he said, even though it's based on something that I originated, mm. the thing that they're creating is not my V for Vendetta. So what? why should my name be on it, as he would say? <laughs> why should my name be attached? I don't want to be attached. I don't want the money. Mm. I don't want anything to do with it. So... That's why in the credits it says V for Vendetta, illustrated by David Lloyd, and then later on, six years later or four years later, rather, in two thousand nine, when Watchmen came out, the credit is Watchmen, illustrated by Dave Gibbons.
1: I'm still not on Moore on, on Watchmen. Didn't want wow. it. No. Didn't. I mean,
0: that's a whole other kettle of fish. His relationship ended with DC oh, after yeah. Watchmen because he feels he was promised something that they sneakily went against so he absolutely would not want his name on on the film and he didn't want his name on the recent hbo series by david uh damon lindelof Mm.
1: i think i mean it's fair enough because you're doing your thing over here you've got nothing to do with hollywood they they've got their own way of doing things i can see i can totally see why he would feel that way And, and knowing how um knowing that machine of hollywood and how difficult it is to, to make something and, and how many voices are, are clamouring to be heard about anything that you're making. I think that he's probably well shot of it, to be honest. <laughs> you know? But also, why would he want to sit back and watch something that he
0: worked on, yeah. bastardised, by people who were not in his mindset, have no idea about the creative process that he took to get there?
1: Mm.
0: yeah. And it's not like if he was involved, they they accept everything he said.
1: I think if they'd been maybe slightly more generous when they were making V for Vendetta, they may have given it a subtitle, you know, they could have said that Alan Moore's version was the 80s Thatcherite version and this is now, you know, V for Vendetta 2050 kind of thing.
0: That would undermine their version, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. Have you
1: ever seen... It's because it's, you know, even
0: with Stephen King books and a lot of them are so loyal to Stephen King but they don't ever say, well, it's based on the version that is Mm. the Stephen King version but we're not making the Stephen King version because you know, part of the marketing ploy that they don't overtly say is them saying, oh, well, this is Stephen King's it. Mm. It's not. It's Andy Machowski, or whatever his name is. Yeah. And I've got the comic here. It's not owned by Alan Moore. It's a DC Comics book, Mm. so he wrote it for DC, Mm -hmm. or sold it to DC, so he doesn't own the rights to it anymore, but he owns the rights to From Hell, and he owns the rights to League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. So this was the first one that of the first Alan Moore comic book film that was actually, you know, they didn't have to have him involved. Mm. Interesting. Same with Watchmen. They don't have to because he doesn't own them. Mm. So are you, are you a big fan of this film? I, I hadn't seen it for years because I wanted to read the book first. Mm. And because it took me a while to get through the <laughs> book, I didn't see the film until a couple of years ago. Okay. So this was only the second time that I'd, I'd ever seen it. Whoa. I... I think it's a it's a curious piece of work because it doesn't hold together completely it's a collection of ideas that they're not necessarily linked hmm. there's ideas in there and there's plot threads that I don't think tie together like what well first of all it's difficult to understand what's going on because on one side you've got v very eruditely played by Hugo Weaving and it's a brilliant performance because it's basically an animated uh job. Mm-hmm. You know, he does the voice and then there's some physicality and it's a very physical performance. But you've got the on one side you've got him and his polite, him wanting to um to almost instill in Evie played by Natalie Portman the future of his Uh, his political ideals and his cultural movement. Mm. And then on the other side, you've got the police investigation, um, almost semi being controlled by John Hurt's big head. (laughs) And it doesn't, the two two seem to jar against each other and the police investigation doesn't really seem to be a police investigation. It just seems to be cliched scenes of some policemen knocking about a 1980s-style <laughs>
2: office.
0: Mm-hmm. So, narratively, I could never tell what exactly was going to happen. And it just doesn't tie together because suddenly we're in the third act and there's a, a tube train full of explosives and Stephen Ray is turning into a good guy. yeah, And McCready is killing John Hurt. But when did he... When did he decide to kill John Hurt? It just suddenly Mm. happened out of the blue. I get the idea that maybe somewhere on some hard drive in Warner Brothers at the back cupboard, there's a director's cut sitting there somewhere that is three hours long and explains everything. Mm. And it makes it a much more satisfying experience. Because I feel there's so much already cut out of the book to make this film. And then I feel from maybe the script that the Wachowskis wrote, there's so much cut out of that to make the final product. Mm. Did you get the feeling that there were bits missing and that they were sort of jumping
1: over dots just
0: to get everything to connect?
1: I think that it does start to... I think it does come together at the end. And I think it, it hinges on that scene in the underground where... Evie meets um, Stephen Rhea's, uh detective, and he decides not to intercept her. And she has got to a place now where she's not afraid of him, and she's gonna just going to do it anyway. So I think it does it does come together, and I think it plays a very long game, and it takes a it takes a long time for motivations to become clear and for. Um, for you to understand, you know, why is V actually doing any of this? Why is he why what was it about Evie that he liked? And it's still slightly ambiguous. Like he says something about I saw you and I wanted a friend or something. And obviously she she physically resembles the friend that he lost in the sort of concentration camp. Um I think it's it's a film that's interesting to discuss and to kind of think about, but in the watching it's yeah, it's strange. One of my problems with it is the fact that it feels so set bound. It feels really small. You know, the ideas are so huge, um, and the the you know it's set in London. It sh- it should and it wants to be about London and the people in it, and it shows all you shows all these people, but you just see their living rooms, um, and I think that a lot, pretty much all the film is just based in the studio where I think they shot in Berlin and there's very few exteriors. They shot in Berlin? Which scenes did they shoot in Berlin? I mean, all of the set stuff is in Berlin. Oh, I see. Because I felt that they were actually shooting on Whitehall for real. They did shoot around. They did one. uh, They did like a week, I think, in um, outside the Westminster area. Um, well, they did actually shoot ah, there.
0: because it looked and, pretty
1: real. Yeah, yeah. And it must have been night shoots, because there's fuck-all people around. Well, you, and also, do you want to know how they managed to secure that access? Um, Did Stephen Fry call up <laughs> Tony Blair and say, do you mind? You're actually not far off. Uh, really? Tony Blair's son, Ewan, worked on the film. And <laughs> so when they realised, when they wanted to get access to Westminster, it was like, Dad, can we... Um, can we just do a bit of shooting uh, around, you know, our our house? But that's
0: really weird because it's so anti
1: blaring. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I think it, I think it's weird and also it seems like its biggest stylistic influence is like Robocop. Like all of the all of the sets, like the studio, the the TV studio, um, the police station, it's all like grey walls, you know, square TVs. It all feels very Paul Verhoeven. Um, which i guess is like a contrast with V's house which is like super cultured full of curios Yes. very erudite um well
0: he's got a um he's got a top floor penthouse suite in <laughs> central london so where the fuck is he getting his money from because that's at least 6 million he's robbed a few banks the cast is the cast is a, a really really decent cast yeah. hugo
1: weaving is I, I don't think i've ever seen him give a shit performance He's just so soft in this. Like, his voice is different. If you if you watched only the first half of the film, you probably wouldn't even realise it was him because that clipped, kind of sneering Agent Smith Matrix voice <laughs> is completely absent and he's really soft and, um, you know, he's romantic and he's, despite the mm. fact that he can basically, he's like a ninja. But doesn't that make V a really cool character? He's Yeah, he's really interesting and it, it's different to the book again, I think, because... Doesn't the book have him as this really ruthless, he'll kill anyone, basically, to get his cause heard? He,
0: well, he's incredibly erudite, and he's very, very deadly. He even sings at one point. <laughs> Stephen Ray. Yeah. Is it Ray or Rhea or Ria? I think it's Rhea, but that might just be me. I don't know. He was in Crying Game. He always he? pops up. Yeah, he was in Crying Game, and also Interview with a Vampire. He always oh. crops up. The The casting of John Hurt is, is a brilliant idea... I mean, because John Hurt was in the film adaptation of 1984... Yeah... And
1: here he is playing Big Brother... I, know, that's, I didn't really make that connection... That's hilarious...
0: Stephen Fry playing Stephen Fry... Yeah... Uh, Natalie Portman... Accent? Question mark? Odd accent...
1: Odd accent... But she gets the emotional... What
0: accent are you talking about?
1: <laughs> it gets better as it goes along... but The thing with Natalie Portman is... She's a,
0: a named actress... I personally don't think she's as great as everyone makes out she is. Oh, okay. She's very one note quite often. And I do wish that if she's going to pretend to cry, that they just give her some of that onion rub so her eyes water. I thought she was. She did it like she was crying. Didn't see her cry once. When
1: she was having her head shaved, she's properly crying. No,
0: I didn't see her, I didn't see tears. She just does that thing with her mouth.
1: So much sand. So much sand.
0: It gets everywhere. Does V care too much about revenge? Well, that's his whole thing,
1: isn't it? Is that's why they kept showing. But is it too much? Too much? Um, revenge is a dish best served cold. I don't know. I think that he. <laughs> that's an old Klingon saying. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> doesn't I don't even know what it means. I think I guess I guess it means that you shouldn't let it burn you up the way it does V.
0: It completely dominates his life, one hundred percent. He's worked twenty years mm. for this. This has been his only his reason for living. Yeah, and he uses Evie to get that. He basically, he like gaslights her. He yeah, he gaslights her, but he radicalizes yes. her. Yes, yes, he does. Which is such a bizarre. It's a bizarre thing to to include in the film when. The film is so against Bushism and Blairism Mm. and Bush and Blair were so against people being radicalised in Osam Bin Laden's band of brothers, let's say. Mm. It's just such a weird positioning because this film is so against Bush and Blair, so is the film with Al-Qaeda and Mm. later ISIS. It's,
1: It's also just weird from a perspective of the way it talks about fake news. You know, the film... Yes. The film is all about propaganda and misinformation. But in as much as a Jack the Ripper
0: film will always have a top hat, a shadowy Mm. figure and a knife, dystopian films will always have mistruths and big brother and fake news yeah but it's double
1: speak political thought it's just yeah that's true but i think it's interesting that v actually almost succumbs to those types of that strategy like he he basically fake news is evie um yeah he uses it against. i mean to
0: to the point where he 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 entraps her and, and imprisons her yeah shaves her head and drives her mad
1: yeah idea yeah, I, so that's why odd. i think she's been radicalized she has been she's definitely been radicalized but it's it's i mean it's very morally murky because she could the only way she could understand what he'd been through and the stakes and you know what needed to be done in order to fix the country was to actually physically experience it and not not knowing that it was artificial but I don't think it's a good thing. <laughs> Do you think it was necessary?
0: Do you think if he sat her down and said, look, this is what I've been through. Will you help me? Is that a failure on V's behalf that he doesn't have the skill set or the, the, the necessary sort of um, ability to pass over his passion that he has to dupe someone into blowing up big Ben and helping him spread an, an abstract idea. Mm.
1: I mean, I think so, probably actually, I think that she's already escaped once, and almost like in his eyes betrayed him, and you know even though she was not cap- she wasn't a captive, she could leave whenever she wanted, but she did leave, and um yeah, so I think that he doesn't necessarily trust that she is trustworthy um unless he makes her into his mirror image. You know, there's lots of mirror imagery in the film. When we first meet both of them, they're both sitting at literally at mirrors and their, their experience Mm. is, is reflected throughout. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's very fucked up. (laughs) I mean, he's not really a person (laughs) Um, though. We don't really know anything about him. He's very much.
0: No, that's the point, isn't it? He's just an, an idea. Well, the film
1: starts with the, the power of
0: ideas artists use lies to tell the truth Mm. so he's just a he's just an idea he's he's used those lies in order to tell the truth but whose truth Mm. and what is the truth that he wants to tell because if his isn't that an oxymoron or Mm. or like a paradox because he's using lies in order to tell the truth so surely the lie will undermine the truth how do we know that what he's saying is the truth and how can she how can she be okay with herself, at, you know, when she puts her head on the pillow at night or at the end of her life on her deathbed when she's thinking back and she's thinking, well, I know something is 100% the truth, but mm. it's all
1: based on lies. I mean, surely your your, your perception of reality would be so massively storted by going through such a traumatic experience as being imprisoned <laughs> yeah. and lied to so horrifically. Yeah. What's that
0: called? Patty Hurst had it. um syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah there's another quote that i think she says or he says a story can be true or false equations are
1: factual truths mm. it's meaningless i mean the, the perspective that we are showed in the film is that this country is is um on its knees you know the the people are mm. trapped seemingly trapped in their homes they're really miserable they hate this regime so we're told the regime is bad. So anything that is done in order to sort of release people from that is good. But that doesn't stop V from being an anarchist. And he's very much like, he is a, he's the hero of the story, but he is an anarchist.
0: Well, one man's terrorist is
1: another one's freedom fighter. Yeah, exactly. And people have taken the, the V for Vendetta mask and, you know, anarchists use it now. Oh, yeah, like, like a, anonymous Anonymous
0: and yeah. the uh, the student riots really ran with it. Yeah,
1: it's almost become a cliche. Like, oh, you're wearing the V for Vegeta mask. Well, David, was it David Lloyd who said that it's fantastic, or McTeague who said, oh, it's great that it's taken on this life and. That you know, people are using it. Anarchists are using it in their demonstrations. It is. He drew it. It's free. It's like free marketing. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's be be like if if they chose Freddy Krueger's face, I'm sure Robert Englund would come out and be like, "I really like it."
1: Well, what's the other? There's another um, character that we have covered in the podcast where you'd never see their face, and they're also an unstoppable force. Michael Myers. Yeah, Michael Myers. Well, Jason as well, as But Michael
0: Myers doesn't stand for anything. Right. Doesn't have a personality. He's both sort of physically and vocally abstract. But he represents something. V is an idea. Michael Myers doesn't... You say Michael Myers represents something or V? Well, they both do. Well, what does Michael Myers represent?
1: Michael Myers represents the boogeyman. He's the faceless man who comes into suburbia and kills your children. But is that how he thinks of himself? because v is very Mm.
0: very erudite and very intelligent he knows what he is representing he's orchestrating Mm. this whole thing michael myers is just the shape as he was always called in the script yeah different films he doesn't really have a motivation other than kill kill like sticking his knife in things do
1: it mommy do it mommy that's jason
0: (laughs) that's jason (laughs) that's jason do you think that v is gay then well that's the suggestion in this version isn't it is it not in the book no i don't remember there being anything of that sort
1: mm. because he's in the camp with a, a woman we know is gay so yeah and doesn't he say something I like think it
0: was anything that was different anyone mm. that was different was taken away potentially the wachowskis have put in the lgbt aspect because of what they were secretly going through
1: yeah and it does have a really positive representation of of a gay experience you know what's her name is she veronica or valerie Her backstory about her, you know, meeting a woman, falling in love and all that kind of stuff is really beautifully done. And then obviously Mm. they cut your heart out by having her killed dead in a concentration camp.
0: Would you watch it again?
1: I would, because I do find it really interesting. I think it is, it's so full of ideas and it's not 100% successful in sort of as as a complete story necessarily, but I think it's got some fantastic things to say about, you know, the power of propaganda and, and you know, the evil of dictatorship and the, the strength of the common man and things like that. I think there's so much great stuff in there, um, but it's it's just a very odd film and it takes some really odd, like, the takes some odd risks, like the fact that Evie is banged up in that what turns out to be a fake prison and she's in there for like what 20 minutes that's a big stretch of the film (laughs) well yeah 20 minutes of screen time i I think it was longer in (laughs) the film
0: it's not like she was in there for like the length of an episode of friends (laughs) what's she complaining about it's fine (laughs) and i think it would work and i've said it before on all the other episodes i think this would generally work best as a tv series Mm. Because you have that breathing space, and that's the thing with Alan Moore books—they should be TV series—and it's very much a sign of the times. In two thousand five, I can't imagine anyone would have thought, "Well, we should do this as a TV series." No, that's very much a now thing. And with the age of Trump, it's this is the perfect IP that say mm-hmm.
1: to explore again. Do like do five seasons of thirty-minute episodes, and I would watch it in a heartbeat.
0: Not even five series—you could do this in like two series of six hour long episodes i don't like hour long too much (laughs) (laughs) half an hour that's it deals (laughs) off but hang on how many how many half an hour episodes could you watch in watching a sitting one that was V for Vendetta directed by James McTeague. Joshua, that's it. We're done. We've finally finished all the non-superhero comic book movies we wanted to cover. Damn you COVID.
1: See? We have we've done it. We've overcome COVID.
0: We will be back later in the year. Obviously, <laughs> we've we? got our end of year Yeah, we've got our end of year episodes. Oh, we've yeah. got a Christmas collaboration coming up. Mm. We're collaborating with Santa. <laughs> be sure to subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify and acar so
1: you don't miss an episode and we are on twitter at tornstubs pod have you enjoyed the uh superhero free comic book series which is your favorite Just come and have a chat really
0: we're off to use lies to tell the truth until next time i remain robert gershenson i'm
1: josh you're winning cut you can cry me a river
2: cry I cried a river over you You drove me, nearly drove me out of my head While you never shed a tear Remember, I remember all that you said